0: Welcome to this week's Rational Radio In studio with me, John Frith, Who's come all the way from Port Alfred, John? Correct And what business are you going to talk to us about today?
1: About codicils for your will
0: And what's the advantage of codicils for your will?
1: Well, everybody pays extra estate duty If they don't have a will that specifically bequeaths enough to leave just enough in the residue to pay the estate duty. They then pay extra estate duty.
0: And you've gone all the way to the appellate division of the Supreme Court to, to, to make it happen. So 20, we, we, 20
1: years ago, might I tell you.
0: 20 years ago. We'll be talking to John Frith a little later, but of course, as always, yes, oh. David Shapiro. Geez, oh. Dave, I'm glad you came into the studio. We've had quite a, a, a fallout today. From our studio guests. I suppose John had no chance because he came from Port Alfred, but coronavirus is uh, spooking is everybody.
2: And, and how? And, um, look, I don't think it means no social interaction at all. I think you just have to modify it and just be a little cautious about it, not gathering big crowds. I think the whole aim is to really flatten the curve, uh, not to, uh, you know, the curve's going to be there, but uh, if you flatten it, uh, obviously it's going to be to the benefit of society. But I, I, I don't think we're cutting out all kinds of engagements, so... Um, that would um, kill
0: the economy, wouldn't it? Totally.
2: We're already being killed, Alec. It's, um, to see the destruction of value that's taking place is something that's uh, unprecedented, and just to see the way that people are tracking their assets away. This will pass. When I say this will pass, yes, we're going to have a month, maybe two months, maybe three months of pain, even the economies, but they'll recover fast and it just seems that people are losing all sense of uh, rationality. But I can't stop that. You know, whatever I say or whatever you say is not going to stop it, but people are just kind of building in the absolute worst thing that's going to happen. Almost a kind of Armageddon type uh, attitude.
0: David at Haas on Friday we had the massive injection of cash mm. by the US government. Wall Street up 10%. This morning the JSC is down another 6 So we didn't yep. benefit from the Wall Street uplift and we yep. are now even going further down even though we came off a much lower base.
2: Yeah and uh, we, we fell Thursday we fell 10%, up 10% on Friday, and probably down another 5 and 6% at the moment. So when you think about it, you know, is Disney going to close Disneyland forever? Is no one ever going to fly in an airplane anymore? And that's what the kind of – those are the kind of values that the market's now discounting. You know, that economic trade as we see it is, is not going to happen again. And uh, so you've got to be very cautious about what you do with your assets. The best is to sit it out. But um, it's, it's, you know, when you watch it happening in front of you, it can be very, very frightening.
0: So, Dave, why would the JSC have reacted in such a way? Or, or, or what's, what happened since Friday evening, our time on Wall Street, where it appeared as though mm-hmm. the stimulus packages are, are going to work or people believe it to today?
2: I suppose it's a lockdown. The world's locked down. You heard uh, President Ramaphosa last night. South Africa is locking down. We're closing our borders. New York has locked down. Uh, people are remaining inside. They're working from home. No one's going out to restaurants. No one's going out to theatre. Broadway closed down. Now, this will hurt for a month or two, particularly those businesses that, that rely on monthly income to get through to the next month. But that's where governments come in, and that's what governments are trying to Ensure that, they, um, that they've got enough liquidity. In other words, liquidity means money to give to those companies to tide them over this uh, very, very difficult period. Yes, airlines are going to be under a lot of pressure. But, you know, we saw this with 9-11. Remember, there was a complete social lockdown after 9-11. People went into their houses or flats or apartments and never got out. And it took a couple of months before they felt that it was safe to fly again. But we got over it. So I'm not uh, I'm not suggesting don't panic. You know, there's nothing nicer than a good panic for people. You know, they love to panic, and and you know <laughs> you're, if if you would have looked at if you look at your WhatsApps or your messages on mm-hmm. phone, every kind of article that's ever been written, and we, I've never seen so many experts appear from uh, from all and over and
0: fake experts wow. as well. There was a there was a <laughs> long uh, note that we almost published uh, from Adrian Gore excepting yeah. when I got a hold of Adrian Gore. It's not from Adrian Are Gore. kidding? Yeah, and that's been distributed. That's going viral. It's gone viral, yeah. It's, it's probably somebody who's gone short on the markets and says, well, here's a reputable guy that we can now uh, you use. You know, you're
2: telling me something that, that I'm, only, I'm learning for the first time now yeah. because um, uh, we've seen this uh, you know, being published. In fact, uh, it's been circulated around our firm, and uh, uh, that's in very, very interesting. That's
0: the best fake news is… That which mm-hmm. is 80% true, but the one who's put it together has got an agenda. Why and the would agenda. Do well, that? to go short. Because if you read through that, it's, uh, it's definitely not helping markets uh, this morning. If you read that Adrian Gore of Discovery would have put something along yes. those lines out, that there's a, two, there's a, there's a high 20 times mm. more people would die than flu. Now, that immediately yeah. was a bit of a tip off because in Wuhan province. The, the yeah. death rate is point 0.1. F- oh, sorry, outside of Wuhan province in China, the death rate is 0.14%. So suddenly now, Adrian, in inverted commas, is saying it's 1%, and it's 20 times the flu rate, which is flu is point 0.1. So immediately there's criminal. a That's criminal. That's of course it's Th-
2: That is criminal. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not even fake news. That's uh, uh, you know that should be invested for criminal, uh, investigated for criminal charges yeah. because well, uh, um, to do something like that at a time like this. You know, it's like the, 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 the picture we saw of the uh, of one young man who bought, I think, seventy thousand bottles of uh, sanitizer, and and Apple, uh, sorry, Amazon stopped him selling it, you because know, he was there to profit, you know. So you get those kind of people in in these times of mm. stress.
0: You also get people who actually are infected with the virus, and we're going to we're going to get hold of uh, one now. It's Andrew McPherson, oh. uh, who's an executive with Old Mutual, and uh, he. Okay. Hello, Andrew. Uh, you've just uh, I, I was busy telling David Shapiro about your little story, but much better that you tell us the story. But just just by, by way of background, last night I was looking at my ink- LinkedIn feed, Dave and uh, Andrew did an interview with Bronwyn, Bronwyn Nielsen, our our colleague. He's on the line to us now. Andrew, why did you decide to talk to Bronwyn about the fact that you do have coronavirus?
3: Um, It was mainly Bronwyn's idea because I'm friends with her her husband, Jen. And um, my, my my real concern was just around how unprepared we were for what was coming down the line. I mean, I'd been... I'd been in Europe and I'd been seeing what was happening in Italy and seeing it in Iran, and and when I arrived in South Africa, uh, there was just there just seemed to be no sense of of what we were we were about to be hit with. What happened? And that really concerned me. Uh,
0: how did you pick up the virus?
3: So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I travelled from I travelled from South Africa, uh, Cape Town, uh, via Dubai to London. Uh, I had a meeting in London, and then I travelled to Zurich. Uh, and I, uh, you know, went skiing uh, in Verbier, and then I travelled back uh, via Zurich, via Dubai, to Cape Town. So uh, you know, you'd never know when you picked it up. It's uh, somewhere along that trip.
0: Mm. And when did you know that you were infected?
3: So, so the you know, problem was because there's because there's been such such little kind of information about this. Uh, I didn't know. I wasn't I mean, the I think what made me aware was the, the, I worked for a mutual and, and they, they issued a statement while I was in London that I wouldn't come back to work for three weeks, uh, which I guess kind of sort of raise, raise alarm bells. And then, um, you know, seeing everything over there while we were there, I kind of suddenly, suddenly got nervous about my parents. Um, and, and, you know, I had a slight sore throat, but I've been skiing before, and you're going from hot to cold. It was very, very mild. Um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a very mild a sore throat and a, and a dry cough, um, but I never thought I was sick. So when I got back, I thought, look, I'll go for, it. I'll go for a test to be 100% sure I'm not carrying the, the coronavirus. Uh, and, I mean, I was completely gobsmacked when I was, I was tested positive.
0: Mm. Where did you test positive?
3: Uh, I test positive in Cape Town. At at just the at your doctor's at the, at, no so so that was also the problem was was I came I came back um and I and I decided I was going to have a test and and I, I at that stage it was before it was before there were private tests so the only testing that was was being done was was um when you got permission from the NICD to get a test now I came back um from a high a high kind of risk area um, with the sore throat and a dry cough and it, my, my doctor uh, begged. My doctor said don't come into my rooms, so rather let me organize your test. Um, so I waited at home for two days while my doctor begged the NICD to give me a test. Uh, yeah,
0: My GP um, has been has sent out a WhatsApp. Dave, I don't know if you've also been receiving these kind of things, but uh, she said, please, if you've got oh, exactly oh. the symptoms that Andrew's talking about, don't come into the uh, into the surgery because if you do, we're we're out for 14 days. Uh, yeah.
3: So that's, that's the that's the that's the biggest risk here, and this is where this is where I think we are still we are still behind the curve. Look, um, I, I think I think since I since I, I since my story came and, and and I did try to make an effort to get it out there, but I think things have slightly improved. But you know we can't people with coronavirus can't go to hospitals. You know, if you go into a hospital and this virus gets into a hospital, it it can it can decimate you know sick people in that hospital. Um, they're the most at risk now we can't you know you can't take a healthy person go for a test in a hospital the, you, the virus is then go, is going into the hospital now when when I went through this process the thing that scared me as well was I went to I went to one of the biggest private hospitals in the Cape the, I, 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 my doctor had told them I was coming into the emergency room they put me they put me in the waiting room with with, with the pregnant woman never yeah and I, I mean that, that was that was when I started raising the alarm I, I got a hold of that Wendy from Western Cape I got a hold of of the, the head of the head who is running the Western Cape, I said, "This is this is crazy, guys. We need to be more on top of it." Um, but I mean, if, I, if I'll tell you another scary story. So last night, because since since I raised the awareness, uh, people people have been contacting me. And um, last night, uh, a, a person I work with phoned me in, in, in a bit of a state because one of their uh, young a young relative of theirs had, had uh, tested positive. Um, that young relative was taken to a doctor. The doctor in South Africa in in Cape Town knew that they were from London, still tested the, the, uh, the, the, young child. Um, the young child, the, then the child was tested on the, I think on the Friday, um, at, a, at a private testing facility. Um, the, the, the parents of the child then asked, they, they were supposed to fly to Joburg on the, on the, on the Saturday. And the doctor and the private testing facility said to them, yes, you can fly. Take your barcode with you and you'll get your results in Joburg. So they, they basically said to them, you, you, you might be coronavirus positive. Give them an airplane, fly to Joburg, and we'll tell you in Joburg if you're positive or not. That, that, that's what's going on right now.
0: Yeah. Surely after last night and the, the president's message, and clearly you would have listened to it more carefully than yeah. most, that's going to change.
3: So I'm hoping so. I'm really hoping so. I, I, I can honestly say to you that I'm, I'm – I, I feel i feel a sense of relief that the president has come out like he has i think i, I commend him for what he's done i think it's like a brave leader to, what he, to do what he's done but i still think people still need to take personal respons- responsibility for for this i mean i'm still seeing i'm still seeing facebook posts i'm still seeing instagram posts where people are saying oh this is all hype. this bullshit yeah you know, excuse my language but it's, it's crazy it's crazy that people can still believe that this is hot
0: mm. Andrew, how exactly are you feeling now? Just maybe give us some some sense of when one gets the virus, what happens.
3: So that is the scariest thing. Is for for eighty percent of us, eighty five percent of us, we're not going to feel a thing. I mean, I feel like I feel like I had a very mild cold, and I've now got a uh, slightly slightly aggressive <laughs> flu. My my joints are sore. Um, but but for the for the beginning and I'm I'm probably not infectious anymore. But for the beginning for for the beginning parts of this of this virus, you are not even aware that you are sick, and and you know you think our natural our natural is well, well I'm not that sick. I'll go to work. I'll go I'll go to the shops. I'll I'll, I'll carry on with my life. And then uh, if I am sick, then I'll stay at home. But that's just too late because we've infected a whole lot of people.
0: Would you have gone to work ordinarily if there was no coronavirus with the symptoms that you have?
3: So, so yes, I would have. I, I, I probably would have gone to work with it, and and you know, and and that's what I said. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal and say I'm I'm the model citizen here. I was very lucky that my work, you know, instigated this policy and they made me aware of this um, while I was overseas. Otherwise, I would have come back and carried on my life as normal.
0: Mm. What, what do you? Uh, what do? You, how long do you expect
3: that you're going to be off work, or at least at home? So, so, so i'm working from home i mean i'm as i said you know i'm 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 90 i'm 95 percent okay. i've got sore muscles and i'm i'm quite tired in the mornings when i get up it takes me uh, this thing seems to, to have uh, your body seems to fight it more when you're sleeping than, than not but i mean i'm working from home I, my life is is carrying on as normal um yeah so, so but but they say sorry they say that um you know, you, you are sick for about 14 days when you when you stop showing when you stop having symptoms. So when you the, the fluish feeling is gone, they will come and test again. Um, and then they'll test a few days later. And if both tests are negative, then you can kind of resume your life.
0: So you need to be tested before you can go back into society. Yeah. Yeah. But there are then, million people in South Africa. Oh.
3: Well, that's the, that, is, that is the problem. I mean, I, I don't know how we – you know, I think we need to think about this. But, and that's, again, it's people taking responsibility for their – for their own actions. I look, I think from what I've read is you, you are from, you're only really infectious from the first seven days or, or once from once you so you so you're infectious from when you get it till seven days after you start showing symptoms and then you start, you start becoming less and less infectious. But so you, you should be, you should be once, once the symptoms have gone and a few days have passed, you should, you should be theoretically safe. I just, I don't think that we have got the infrastructure to support testing people you're recovering from this twice. I don't
0: know how we're going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that those kind of, that kind of fact is going to start permeating and, and clearly there will be a change in, in, in that approach. But from your perspective, yeah. you're the head of balance sheet management at Old Mutual Emerging Markets. That's a big job and, and yeah. it's one where you have to apply rationality on a day to day basis. When you have a look at the balance sheet of South Africa or the balance sheet of the world with these, these um, stock markets and you've been as close to coronavirus as anybody else. What are you making of it
3: so uh, unfortunately uh, unfortunately the, the, we don't have an option you know I, I just think you know i've been I've been doing a bit of reading and and, and kind of thinking while i while i've while I've been at home, but you know you know maybe this is a, this is a point in time where where actually things you know the, the world needs to come to stop and realize that there's actually maybe there is more to life than um, than killing ourselves in 14 hour working weeks. Maybe there is more to life than whether the stock market goes up or down. Um, and I think at this, at this point in time, the world needs to realize that, that we're actually going to need to, to, stop. We're going to need to come to, come to a halt to, to, clear the world of this virus. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I know it's easier said than done, but, you know, I think society has to mobilize and realize that right now, the, the priority has got to be to clearing the world of this virus and then we can resume economic activity. And the longer, the longer it takes the world has to realize that, I think the, the, the worse it's going to be for us.
0: Andrew McPherson, who is an executive at Old Mutual. Sure, David, that's uh, quite, a, quite a personal experience.
2: It is, and it's a very valid point. I, well, what I think is going to happen when uh, Andrew says that um, you know, we're going to have to take a relook relook at ourselves, I, th- I think going forward, uh, the world's not going to be the same. Why, why I say that? When you think about it, um, Alec, if you think about President Trump, first of all, what did he do? He killed Obamacare. In other words, 28 million people in the U.S. do not have um, access to free medical care. Uh, you can't have that because those are the people that are going to hide the symptoms or keep going to work, as, as, Alec, as uh, Andrew said. So you've got to look at that, kind of that, that, that side of it. The other side of it is There's been a massive attack on drug prices and why, especially the ethical drug producers, the big drug producers, charging too much. Well, they use those margins for R&D, for research and development. And at the moment, by taking away their margins – and this sounds like I'm a right-wing capitalist, but I'm thinking this thing through – what happens is that all that money that they produce normally goes into looking for all kinds of diseases – in the meantime, what's happening now is they concentrate on chronic, uh, like lung cancer or those, when I say popular, in inverted commas, and you know what I mean, prostrate cancer or um, hmm. a breast cancer, rather than looking you know, at, at, at broader, um, broader symptoms and going to broader disease.
0: So things know. people can pay for. Those who've got deep pockets. Dead right. What bothers Dead them? Right. Alzheimer's, etc. Exactly. Rather than a more broad that's, uh, mm, so unintended consequence,
2: Right. So we're going to have to go back and say, listen, we need the skilled people. We need the scientists to look at all kinds of diseases. The other thing is and you can't test people twice. You've got to have the right kind of equipment. So we're going to have to go into the equipment makers, whether it's Philips or whoever it does it, General Electric, uh, to start looking at diagnostic machines that make uh, this is going to reoccur. Somewhere down the line, we're going to have it again. We're going to have to have uh, a whole new investment in those kind of machinery or the kind of di- diagnostic machinery to look at these things.
3: So, so, so just feeding on, on from what you're saying there, is that, you know, uh, with the outbreak of the SARS virus, they were, they were months away from, from creating a vaccine. The reality was that, that- that SARS virus didn't, uh, was was solved and wasn't an issue anymore, so they they put a hold on, on on finishing off the vaccine. So their vaccine has been on ice. If they if they if we, they had just got the funding to finish that vaccine, that vaccine is probably uh, effective against against this virus. So so as, as you said, it's a short-sighted thinking of capitalism because there's no money in it. We we not we're not going to fund it anymore. So now we are 12 months behind the curve, whereas. If, we had a, if, if they had have continued and completed that vaccine, we would probably be fine right now. Andrew, it's a lot to think about.
0: Just a final question. You did say that you thought uh, President Ramaphosa had done a good thing last night with his reaction uh,
3: in shutdown of South Africa. Yes. Uh, why would you say that? So I think I think for they've they're finally taking it seriously. As as I said, I think I think think, look, I mean, you know, you can pick holes you can pick holes in everyone's actions, and maybe there are are some inconsistencies in it. But I think he's taken a firm stance, and and it's it's a brave stance to take. What I didn't what I didn't really agree with was the fact that he praised he praised the, the actions that we've taken before this, which I don't agree with. I think I think we're behind the curve. But I don't think I don't think that sh- that should rest solely on the on the on the shoulders of government. That's all of us. You know, this this virus has been has been around since the beginning, since November last year, and this is the first time we take it seriously. And that is private sector, individual people. I mean, I, I'm just as guilty. I went skiing. I went off on a skiing trip you know, in the in the midst of a of a, a global pandemic, which look it did blow up while we were over there. But I went off on a skiing holiday. You know, we we have taken this way way too casually, and all of us are responsible for it. And I think we need to take we need to take stock of the fact that we haven't taken this seriously enough in the past and we need to take it very seriously now if we are going to rid ourselves of it.
0: Well also in studio is John Flith. John I'm really pleased that you made it to the studio all the way from Port Alfred this morning. Just you and David Shapiro the brave souls. Although well, I must admit we haven't been hugging and kissing and, <laughs> and, uh, and shaking hands at all. You've got a incredible story actually uh, one man's fight against the system
1: I'm afraid so yeah
0: and it's to do with estate duty correct which is something that the, the law the tax laws say we have to pay or uh, 20% of one's estate goes to the state to the, to the country to the government to treasury of is that net, right?
1: Net of the net assets an okay. amount equal to 20% of the net assets It's not a 20% of the net assets, it's equal to 20% of the net assets, if you can get around that, okay? Mm. Now, so in my father's estate, my father had given us three kids specific requests, specific amounts. I was the executor, and I said, estate duty is easy to calculate because it's 20% of what was given to the children above what... The tax free amount was. Mm. But what I all of a sudden found out was it wasn't. Oh. It was 25%. But
0: The law says
1: 20%. Yes. But the reason was that there was a thing called the step by step computation, which everybody applied, where a spouse or a charity was the residuary And I said, but this is wrong. I actually. It, I, I said it was right across the board, ever since the inception they had been doing this. And I went to Myrovitz, Myrovitz said... No. Wh- who's Myrovitz? Or David? Advocate. David, advocate. Do you, have you heard of Myrovitz? He's
2: yep. an advocate who writes very thick textbooks on tax. Text. He's now okay, gone, on, so I'm mm-hmm. afraid. Oh, he he's passed on. But, yeah. but he's,
0: mm-hmm. in other words, he's the authority on... He, absolutely he, absolutely yeah. on estate,
1: estate, estate duty. what's tax. And when I went to him, he said, and I explained this to him about... And he said, no, you can't use the number which you're trying to calculate To calculate the number and i said but advocate myrovitz in your step-by-step computation that's exactly what you're doing and he immediately literally took it out of his next edition however i had already submitted to sars the the, uh, tax return for my father's estate where i had actually deducted the whole thing And did Psalms not like that? No, Psalms said, and they objected to it. They then wanted me to do the step-by-step computation, which was still in Maravits' books at that stage. And I then objected.
0: This is incredible. So here's one man who's looking at their father's estate, at your father's estate. You come across something in the law that has been presumably applied forever.
1: Forever, since the inception of the estate you But
0: then surely anybody who's who's been the beneficiary of an estate, has been paying too much tax on it, if, if you're right.
1: Well, it's not them. It is the executive who's paid heirs' money to sell it.
0: Well, by the same so, token, by the, same the heirs' t- money has gone to sell. But the
1: heirs never knew how, about it. How much, how much is involved here? We're talking about a lot of money.
0: Billions and billions, of guess. Absolutely. Going, going absolutely. And is there prescription? Well, On this. In other words, is there I, a date that, that at, there's a cut off? At the off?
1: time I won the case, there was no prescription.
0: You won the case. Uh, sorry, I, 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 it, I'm it going a little it, ahead. What it, case was this?
1: This was the uh, Sons versus the Executor estate late W.E. Frith. Your father. Was my father, and I was the executor. And because of what was involved in this, I just got isolated.
0: Because there's so much money involved. Unfortunately, Isolated by?
1: Well, by the guys who were at administrative states. And who are they? Old Mutual, and all the big guys.
0: So the big financial institutions stand.
1: They, they were all in a thing called, at that stage it was the Association of Trust Companies. It later became FISA. And it's still the same a group. And what they had was, they were all members of this, but. I just got left out mm. and they wouldn't talk to me.
0: Okay, so you went you went to court against SARS, yes. won your case, Yes. and the consequence of
1: that? Well, the case is published, okay, and what it says is that if you have a spouse or a charity as the sole residuary heir, you no longer apply this step-by-step computation, which means that that estate will pay the correct estate duty because if the, Estate duty is always paid out of the residue, and if it's paid out of the residue and you're getting the residue as a deduction, being 4Q or 4H deduction, okay, you are getting the correct deduction, being the assets that are being paid to sell it. All
0: right. Let me just understand this correctly. You, when you have an estate… Yes. First of all, you settle the – so it's an asset of somebody who – the assets of oh, someone yes. who's done less the liabilities. In other words, yes. the creditors, the yes. home loans and whatever it might be. What's left after that?
1: Well, then you pay the estate expenses like mm-hmm. the estate – uh, not estate. You, you pay – I mean, if he's got any uh, um, executor's fees, et cetera, which obviously would have, and then what you're left with – It's called the residue, it, what's left. Well, it isn't the residue. That – what, what – done it again. Um, what you've got is an amount or the assets which are going to be used to pay estate duty and the heirs. Okay. Now, when they calculate, when the executive calculates the estate duty, he always uses that number, which includes the assets that are going to be paid to sars. And that's why you've got the tax on tax. That's why Instead of the rate being 20%, you're effectively paying 25% because you're paying that 20% on that extra
0: what happens if David's clients, and he's got lots of them who would have passed away over the years, because he's getting on a bit now, as you can see. What happens to the heirs of those clients? Can they now go to SARS and say, give us our taxes back, please?
1: It'll never come back from SARS.
0: It won't come back from SARS? No. Why? If they paid too much tax? Because
1: where would SARS find that money? And it was professionals who paid it to SARS.
0: So the professionals are the guys who are at fault?
1: Who could be in trouble.
0: Okay, because you won your case in the appellate division and if, as, all you need to do if you are in that, in that boat is pick up the, the, the no. case and take it no. to Old Mutual Sunlum, no? No,
1: no, no it's not going to happen that easily because you still have only, you can only claim it okay, if you had a spouse or a charity as the sole residuary heir, under the normal circumstances with standard, that's how they calculated the estate. It was wrong, let's not bait that. But my case only related to where a spouse or a charity was the Ah, sole residuary heir. And in my father's case, which is lucky, it was my mother. It was so, so
0: so if, you've, if you're one of the heirs of, say, a very vast estate and there's been a lot of tax that was paid, say there were, there were ten heirs, just for yes. argument's sake, yes. you would now have to go back to court yes. and win that case yes. to be able to apply. But, but the chances sound like if you've won your case with a, with a charity and, an, and a spouse, it should happen elsewhere. I, no,
1: it, it would not be that easy. I would have thought it would be. But there are so many variations and deviations, mm-hmm. I nearly lost my case. Okay? It was a, a split decision. And fortunately, so, and they never called me as expert witness because I believe there was a little bit of interference, perhaps, because I would have been able to explain what I've explained to you. Yeah. Um, and that never happened. And. The, the big banks, all being members of the fiduciary institute of, well, the Association of Trust Companies, which became the fiduciary institute, that was it.
0: So there are lots of vested interests here. What have you done about it? Do you, I have,
1: what I did was I had to work out a way to have, for anybody to get a will that would have a residue, that would always have enough in the residue just to pay a state duty and to give a bit to a charity.
0: And how did you do that?
1: Well, I, I developed a formula, okay, which calculates what the speci- total value of specific bequests is, and that is in the world, okay? So you specifically bequeath the amount for the formula and you leave the residue to a charity or uh, or a spouse,
0: they don't pay too much tax. In other words,
1: you, you, no, you only pay the correct amount because you're getting the 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 amount, the residue which is to a spouse or a charity as a deduction, which includes the tax, which should have been a deduction in the beginning.
2: I think I understand uh, it, Dave. Are you um, are you with it? I I kind of. I've got to go home and do the. Work myself and go through all of these fixes. But I, I've i kind of guessed what you're, where have, you're working towards. And because the residue goes to the heirs. The yep. mm. Well,
1: the residue, yes, what's left yeah, goes yeah. to the But what I've done mm. is I've said, no, the residue doesn't go to the heirs. It's specifically bequeathed, mm. leaving the residue to a charity. Mm. And this is what a, a number of the guys who tried to sort of copy me, they were all they They tried to calculate the amount to, to the charity. And they said nobody wants to leave anything to a charity, and part of the guys did that to me. They, they said nobody wants to leave anything to, a-. but they weren 't honest they didn 't say actually you 're going to give more to the heirs, even though you give this tiny mm. little bit to the charity
0: john it it is getting even if david 's a bit confused i think it's <laughs> one 's going to have to listen very carefully but you, you've you 've got a website you 've got you 've You've put all of this together. You sell
1: this product. Yes, I'd like to say the codicil achieves just that. It can be attached to any will and achieves that. That's the objective. And how
0: do people acquire this?
1: The intention now is to actually sell it through all financial advisors who've never known or never realized, because they never did estates, so they didn't realize that the tax wasn't being a deduction which it should have been all the time and that's what I'm trying to do so it's now available through every through the financial advisors and they uh,
0: would go to Yf- Well, I
1: would, I would actually I would effectively license them through an agreement whether it would be Sunlum or Mutual they would charge their client and there would be a, a, a specific fee which they would share and then when the person dies, 5% of the benefit to the heirs, not the benefit to the charity, okay, would come back to and girls.
0: It's an interesting story. Uh, it <laughs> is quite complex. <laughs> um But it certainly is something that, uh, that, that you've taken on the powers that be and, uh, and acquir- approved your case.
1: Acquired 20 years. Acquired 20 years. Well, I won the case in 2000. What did it cost you to, to get there? That, that was nothing. It was the time and, and patience that I've had to try and stay stay alive. Twenty years.
0: <laughs> wow. John Frith, and uh, you can find out more about his uh, offer at yfccodicill.co.za.
2: David? We've got to go through this with numbers to explain because it's much easier if you get the numbers and you can understand um, what John's getting at. John, just one question. Yes, Today, yes. in an estate yes. where, where a spouse dies, the, other, it, it, the estate automatically passes on to the Hopefully other. So only, you know. when only
1: when Only the second, die. second dies. But yeah. The trouble is you don't know which is going to die first. Yeah. So you should really attach the codicil to okay. both walls.
0: And a codicil is just something that you put at the, at, at the end of your wall? Attached attach to the wall. Pretty simple. You do this, you put the codicil in and you don't pay extra tax.
1: Absolutely. What the codicil is carries the formula that I have, okay, or I developed, which then tells you what your heirs can have. And that's what happens.
0: Well, you might remember that on the 3rd of February and again on the 24th of February, we spoke with Gary and Andy Cronier, uh, South African teachers from Durban who were in China teaching English and uh, right in the middle of the coronavirus. Uh, welcome now to Andy. Uh, I think you, you've got the phone, Andy. Is that right? We're both here. We're both you here, both, yeah. both here? That's brilliant. And you're back in South Africa, uh, but
4: weren't part of the,
0: of the airlift.
4: No, we weren't. Uh, We didn't qualify to be in the airlift because we were not in Wuhan itself.
0: Ah, And what brought you home?
4: Well, uh, you know, obviously we were missing South Africa. Um, We were starting to get really, really tired of being in isolation. uh, And we managed to actually get a flight out of China that wasn't too expensive. And also with regards to the coronavirus that happened, it affected many Chinese companies financially. So with that has come salary cuts for foreign teachers, and uh, I think for most, most of the people. So yes. it made a bit more financial sense to come home for now. Uh, uh,
5: just
0: just elaborate a little there, if you in China and you don't go to work, presumably they don't have labor relations like in this country, and you just don't get paid.
6: Yes.
4: Well, yeah. What, what has happened is most of the, com- the companies have moved on to online schooling. But they have now, instead of paying you a full rate, they have now dropped you down to maybe an hourly rate, which is far less than what you would normally get. So um, Gary's company stopped paying him entirely. So at one stage, they, they were just giving him his living allowance, which covered the rent.
0: Gary, uh, I remember in our very first conversation you said you felt that other countries are going to battle to contain the virus because the Chinese being an autocracy were able to do what they did do with the army and forcing people to stay where they were making sure that they didn't believe yes. um, and I guess your, your words were rather prophetic
6: Yes um, I saw what the Chinese did and I've been into a different countries in the world and i've seen what they're capable of and what they're not capable of and the people's attitudes towards you know something catastrophic or whatever and um i've seen that south africa uh, the the media has really made this uh, virus the COVID 19 a, A very sensational thing that if you got it, you're going to die. And it's not that bad, people. It's really not that bad. <laughs> be serious, obviously. Yes. Uh, so. But it's not that if you're going to get it, you're going to die. You're going to be sick. You're going to be uncomfortable. And if the government can help you or the doctors and nurses are qualified to help you, you're going to make it. Uh, have either of you got the virus? No. No. Mm-hmm. We we were chatting to our doctor friends in china and we were ill on the end of december last year
3: early
6: yeah early january and we were sick and he had a bad cough bad temperature everything i got sick i had bubbles in my my lungs it was that bad the doctor actually said listen you are sicker than your wife but i didn't have a temperature my son morgan had to go to the pediatrician he was also coughing temperature everything and when we spoke to our colleagues now in China that is doctors, they said, well, there was an Englishman that was diagnosed in November with the virus, but they didn't want to say anything until it was made public.
4: Yeah, so it was it was okay. We're fine. Uh, I must say, coming back, we'll tell you the story uh, about coming back, but when we arrived in South Africa, everyone sort of did three steps back
6: when they saw us. <laughs> yes, the one mother said to us, this, to two children. Close your mouth. Don't go close to
0: those people. <laughs> Did you have masks on?
4: We all have masks we on. We had to
6: have masks on.
4: In China at the moment, there are only two flights a week out of China it's with Air China. So we have
6: started a very, very
4: long tra- track back the previous Sunday. So we've been in South Africa for eight days now. Uh, and we haven't showed any signs. and signed more declarations than we care
6: to. Yes. <laughs> How come?
4: Well, when we got to, we went from Hangzhou. We had to fly from Hangzhou to Beijing. We had to fly, uh, we had to then fill in health declarations as well as show that green code that we'd previously discussed. And we had to give our address
6: where our final destination was.
4: Yes, seat numbers for the planes and our final destination's address and contact telephone numbers. We did that in Beijing. Then we flew from Beijing to Shenzhen, which I must say, Beijing was a ghost town. There was very few places, um, very few people. Very few places open. And if you, there was a coffee shop, you had to sit, as a family, we weren't allowed to sit at one table. We had to sit at separate tables one and a half meters away from each other. It's quite, uh, wow. quite difficult.
0: The Chinese have certainly um, got, got their focus on this. So, you, but this is early March. This isn't when, when the height of the virus was, was hitting China.
4: Yeah. So we, we arrived back. We left on the 8th. We arrived back on the 9th. Yes. So we, we started our journey, so we had to do many, every single, to get into Hangzhou Airport, we had a health scan, you know, temperature test, body cannon scan, you know, all of that. Um, Beijing, same thing, had to fill our documents. We went to Shenzhen from there um, because there's not enough people going, so they had to stop in Shenzhen to refuel and to collect additional.
6: And they checked our temperatures during the flights as well.
4: Yes, and then during the flights they also said that we must wear our masks the whole time. We must only take them off to eat, and so pre- then we can put them back on.
0: Presumably, this, uh, this suggests that maybe you got the virus in December when you had the cough and the fever, and, and, and now you're over it.
6: Yes. yes.
4: So uh, even we have another friend that's a doctor in South Africa, also a Chinese, uh, ex-Chinese national. And uh, he was saying to my mother and father-in-law who went to, them, went to him a few weeks ago, saying that we probably did have a, a milder case of it. But it was not. We weren't tested for it at that point,
6: so I think, to the we are
4: strong. <laughs> we survive. Is I it? think the South Africans it helps us because we we all have a little bit of extra weight. <laughs> but <laughs> we got something to work against.
0: But, yeah, I, I thought it was to do with the immune system, not with the extra weight that
6: maybe. <laughs> you
4: might no, have. No, no. Yeah, uh, but you know what? It, it was quite an interesting experience coming back in the flight from Shenzhen to Beijing. Obviously when we cleared customs, um, there was a lot of questions asked, a lot of declarations that we needed to fill in again to make sure, and anybody that had a slightly raised body temperature was removed from the flight. They were sent to the medical
6: facility that was inside the airport. So, so, so there was, so they they were very careful.
0: So what happened uh, with, when you got home to South Africa? Well,
6: when
4: we were getting off the plane, we arrived in Orotumbo Throughout the flight coming here, they were checking our temperatures constantly. It, I, I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't, i not too sure how many hourly intervals, but throughout the flight they were checking. We eventually got used to seeing something in the, our peripheral vision and just handed out our wrists <laughs> yes. so they can check our temperature. Uh, got back to South Africa. We arrived. Uh, we all sort of, you know, everyone gets up as the plane touches down. We've got all of our things. And then an announcement comes back and said, no, nope, you all have to return to your seats. So we returned to our seats. We handed in more declarations, final destinations where we're going to be, and then South African the South African government health officials climbed on board. They boarded yes. Yeah.
6: So they boarded the plane and they took everybody's temperature. They made sure they double checked each other that they did check everybody's temperature, and then we were allowed to disembark. And then when we disembarked, we first went through a, a body scan um, scanner. And before we hit the uh, the Duana, the, the, what's it? Customs. The customs. They did a, a physical hand scanner through our uh, face to see that we didn't have any temperatures or any abnormalities.
4: But it was quite funny because as we arrived, uh, the people from China was sort of coming in through the left corridor, and another plane was coming into the right. And they saw everyone with masks on, and they all sort of stopped dead in their tracks and sort of backtracked. <laughs>
0: But it sounds to me like uh, that's quite a thorough examination.
4: It's quite. It I mean, in a in a 15-hour flight, I would think if anybody was going to have something, they would have showed some form of a fever. Same with us. We've been at home now. We've been self-quarantining, and you know we haven't showed anything yet. We were just. We were, we have been cautious. Yes.
6: Uh, look, um, I must say that uh, the South African. The airport, the people had their masks on. Everybody was friendly. But
4: just the ones from China. None of the other planes had masks.
6: None of the other planes had masks. But the officials, they all had their masks on. They were ready for us. They saw, saw us through. And as we came through the doors into the public, everybody looked at us funny. They looked at us up and down, up and down. And we like people, we have masks on, we are from China. Doesn't and mean we're we
3: going to kill you. <laughs> yes.
6: Um one thing that I, I am I have against it is that, you know, we were supposed to actually be taken for quarantine or have a specific designated area for people from China to stay in this quarantine maybe three, four days in a hotel or something, and just see or seven days even when most of the cases present themselves. And have us scanned, and then say you can now go meet the public, where we just walk through. Mm-hmm. We could have been um, had
4: we been sick.
6: Yes, had we been sick or just carriers, at, at we can infect other people. Because just as we were going to fly back,
4: President Ramaphosa did announce that they were going to quarantine people. So we phoned the the embassy to find out, and they said, no, don't worry, if you're not if you're not showing any symptoms, I'll let you through. It's, Which is,
0: uh, yeah, it, sounds, it sounds like we're learning on the fly here, but there are not too many people know how, how it's going. Presumably you listened to uh, President Ramaphosa's announcement last night. What last night. Yes. Uh, what what, what do you make it. of it?
6: Look, he is overcautious. We he has be, to be. Especially with the children. Um, my, my sight is that if something happens and everybody goes and does Sensational buying now, That's all the hysteria. mass hysteria, buying everything like Australia, uh, all the toilet paper and that type of stuff. You know, there's going to be the, the, the balance scales will be out and there will be problems. People will start fighting, people will start uh, getting in other, each other's hair. We in China, we've never experienced that. Nobody went out random buying, they knew everything is in control. In South Africa, I don't think they, I don't think the public has the confidence, <laughs> the confidence in our country to say, listen, we will have enough food, we will have enough stock, we will have enough medicine, we have the facilities to deal with this.
4: Yes, we also had a look uh, after the address last night. There was the national call center number that came through. It was the oh eight thousand number that if you were suspected in contact with anybody with COVID-19, you should call it. So I, I tried to phone it this morning just to find out that we have arrived from China. We are showing no symptoms. Would they like us to be tested? And I phoned, I think at half past seven this morning, I was number 483 in the queue. <laughs>
0: ah, unintended consequences. Gary and Andy, so lovely good. talking with you. And, and, and uh, well, once, once the self-imposed uh, quarantine is over. What are you guys going to be doing?
4: We're going to go down to Natal and just have a little bit of a sunshine holiday, I think. Some vitamin D and vitamin C.
0: <laughs> Lovely talking with the two of them. David.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, South Africa's not the only country that's gone, man. I mean, it started in Australia with people accumulating toilet paper and tissues and the uh, US as well, all the shelves, all the cells, all the Pre-prepared meals, all gone, everything, you know, everyone's going into hibernation there. So I don't think it's unique to South Africa. <laughs>
0: but isn't it interesting to hear what uh, what they had to say there mm-hmm. about uh, the, the fact that they got sick in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mild. It's almost, it sounds like they've, they've had the virus mm-hmm. already and, uh, and, you know, now they have to be isolated.
1: What worries me is Mr. McPherson was talking about when he thought... That this thing had started. So China just left us, left the world in lurch. They should have told us far, far earlier.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's, that's well known now that they made well, a big mistake it, it, there. It,
1: but it should be certainly pronounced in this country.
0: Mm. Yeah, the, the, Wasn't it the, the doctor who first warned uh, about it actually died yeah. of, of coronavirus?
1: Yes, yes, in China, quite right.
0: Anyway, we all have our theories, we have insights, and it's lovely to talk to the Kroniers who are now back home in South Africa. Actually, you're still on the line, Gary.
6: Yeah. Would you ever go back to China? We're definitely planning. We're we'll just waiting for Ramaphosa said, you know, all visas will be cancelled. So we'll be just waiting for China to say the gates are open and we can go back because we've got work lined up for us. We just need to get back. But. We told the, 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 our um, employees or employers that, listen, we are stuck. We're just waiting for the legalities so that we can get back. We, 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 we trust the Chinese government in handling this whole situation.
0: Okay, well there we go. Gary Cronier uh, has a complete trust in um, in the country that he's just come back from. He'll go back there again, David. Uh, uh, it's the only
2: thing that worried me is the employment, is the payment. You know, where businesses, because yeah. of something like this, shut down and they say, well, we can't pay you, therefore. You're not going to get anything. And I think this is where government, well, there's got to be some stopgap. This mm. is the worry. This is why markets are responding the way that they are because there are going to be so many businesses in similar situations. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully governments will come out with some kind of policy uh, to bridge this. And, and it will be funded by government because you can't go to the banks and say that. You know, banks being mm. bankers are not going to give money where they, there's no chance that they might get it back. But you've got to save the economy by By having some kind of institution that's going to cover that.
0: Well, some fascinating insights there from the couple who've been keeping us up to date on coronavirus from China. And, uh, well, they're back home in South Africa, but as Gary said, <laughs> and he's quite happy to go back to China again. Isn't it interesting that uh, that is a country that now has got on top of coronavirus? We're in the middle of the, the issues. But we close off our show today with something completely different, a South African fintech startup called Ozo, whose um, co-founder, Mitch Adams, joins us now. Mitch, good to have you on the program. Uh, South Africa's had some success in fintech startups. Uh, there are a number that have actually been sold on to big American companies. But OZO is one I hadn't come yes. across uh, uh, before. You do, however. You've been going for five years, and, and you've also just hit a milestone of your own. Maybe just to, to give us, by way of a bit of background, what is it exactly that you do?
5: Hi, Alec. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yes, yeah, so OZO is a niche alternative payment. Um, We've only been running for five years now. But uh, it's 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 made a, a lot of waves in, in e-commerce, especially. So what we do is we focus specifically on eFTs, uh, whereas everybody else focuses on credit card payments uh, online. And um, a credit card payments has its own lane, and and it does its own thing. We're not there to compete with them. We're just there to bring a different type of customer to that that uh, online merchant. So in before we existed, uh, an electronic Funds transfer existed there as well, and what what a merchant would do is put their banking details on the webpage, and say, "You owe me, let's say, a thousand bucks. Here's my bank, here's my bank account number, uh, and please use this reference with this amount and put it in there." Um, and and that kind of creates a bit of a, a, a issue at that point. From both sides, so from a merchant side, uh, they 've just put out these details, and they don 't know when the merchant's going to pay for it or not uh, they They end up holding the stock and and once the person does do a payment, uh, they obviously have a limit as to how long they 're going to hold it Let's so they're only for five days, and the person does the payment on the fifth or the sixth day, and the funds eventually come through to the account and they see it on the reconciliation process. They don't have the stock anymore, so they have that issue on their side. It's also Mitch, a mission to do the reconciliation. Yeah, just,
0: yeah? just explain it. So it takes five days from the time that you order something online to when the people you've ordered it from actually get, get settled. Is it well, this,
5: this is from a, a user point of view. So hmm. a user, they've been given a, a mission now to do. It's kind of like a task. So they're saying, okay, you want to buy these shoes? Here's what you have to do. Here's work for you. And, and in, a user's mind, they've just built up this whole long, dreary, monotonous task they have to go through, and they're going to put it off as something I'll do later. Mm. Like, okay, my, my office is there, I'll do it at a later stage. And what happens is the day goes past, uh, I guess in the evening, I'll say I'll do it in the morning. The morning comes, I'll do it in the evening. The evening comes, I'll do it in the morning. And that could take five days. The transaction itself, once it is done, can take up to 72 hours for the funds to clear in the bank account.
0: I oh, got it. Okay. So, so how is it that you help or that you, you smooth the system?
5: So it, it leaves the user with this disconnect of non-instant gratification money's left my account yet I haven't gotten my product and I have to wait and and see when everybody's agreed that money is there. So what we do is we kind of put an automated process in between that and uh, we help the the merchant in a way where they don't have to worry about the reconciliation. They don't have to continuously watch their bank account waiting for money to come in and they don't have to, Hold stock, they can release it immediately. From a, a user point of view, it's instant gratification because we don't pass that work on to the user. We get the information from the merchant and we drive the process for them. So we launch the bank in the background, we authenticate the user, uh, we give them a list of bank accounts to choose from, and then we ask them to authenticate the payment. And that all takes a matter of 30 seconds.
0: All right, so, so let me let me just understand this. Yeah? There's a problem in the system which takes 72 hours or up to 72 hours. You identified that problem, and your solution takes 30 seconds, effectively. Is that what, you, is that yeah, what you're uh, look, telling the, me? The,
5: the banking process in the background still takes its normal 72 hours. We can't change that because that's how the banking works, but we've – Added uh, a risk mitigation control. Call it in between that that allows the merchant to release product immediately, have the user feel uh, that they have instant gratification by authenticating themselves and improving the payment within thirty seconds. So where did that you? 70- where, where
0: did, yeah, I get it. I get it all. Where did you come up with this idea from? How did it? How did it all kind of germinate?
5: Come to pass. Um, well, it's. It's been uh, a lot of failures. I've been in, uh, in payments for about 12 years now. So I started out uh, working on, uh, ATMs and, and e-commerce as well in credit card and This was a payment mechanism that was available before, uh, at, at the company I used to work at and it existed there, but it just didn't work on the same scale that I would have always wanted it to work on. Uh, when I went on to try my entrepreneurial uh, career, uh, eventually we got to a point where we created something similar to Shopify and we needed a payment gateway. Um, so credit card was easy to get, but the fees were high and, uh, fraud was also high. So, uh, I said, look, there is this other payment mechanism that exists. There's a whole bunch of other people. We're talking about digitization of users in South Africa. Let's let's look at this and, and see what we can do. We looked at who provided it at the moment, at that point in time, and it wasn't done to the point where it could handle scale, where it was fast enough. We gave the user uh, trust and speed at the same time, just the ease of use. So we just created our own version of it. Uh, made it a bit more modular, and we thought about, you know, getting a billion people on this, with, with the focus of getting the entire Africa using this type of payment mechanism.
0: Mm. And you, you said in the uh, release that I got that it took you nearly well two and three quarter years to get your first billion in in turnover. Then you're yes. now running at about uh, a billion every two months, and you're looking to get to more than a billion in the months ahead. So, clearly, it's expanding rapidly. How so? Uh,
5: So, that is basically the J curve that's happening at the moment, I would say. So, initially, when we started out, it was all about the merchants. Get a merchant, sign them up at the best rate possible so that people have a place to use the the mechanism at, so where they can spend their money. Um, And now our focus, I would say, since the beginning of this year is to get the end user to get out there. So on an e-commerce platform, I would say we have the majority of the big e-commerce players and a whole bunch of, uh, let's say, tier two e-commerce players and then a bunch of SMEs underneath that. Uh, And now we just have to educate the end users to say this type of payment mechanism does exist and it's out there and you can shop here and shop there. A lot of people don't shop online either because they don't have a credit card or they're just scared of online fraud. Whereas uh, we don't have a case of fraud that has occurred through our system throughout the entire five years we've been running So we're selling that trust. We're selling an alternative payment mechanism, a different way of doing things, uh, and one that appeals to people that usually don't shop online or haven't shopped online before. The merchants love it because now they have an entire new slice of pie just entering their margins.
0: Mm, Congratulations, Mitch. Sounds like you guys have found a a wonderful niche in the market there. Have you had any knocks on your door yet from big banks wanting to perhaps absorb you?
5: Um, initially they wanted to take us out.
0: Mm. No, not surprisingly. (laughs) You mean they didn't want to compete with you?
5: Yes. So we, yeah, they, they wanted, they, they didn't want us to, they, they saw us as a threat basically. Yeah. But, uh, I think, I think these days they, they see us as partners. So some have offered us money to invest in us. Um, some are just working with us in partnership. um, but yeah we've we've had a bank throw money at us and say, "You know we'll just buy you, but uh that was with the intention of killing us not not with the intention of building us at all, uh, but then others have tried to build us as well. We don't want to be um aligned with one specific bank though we want to remain bank agnostic, especially moving into Africa um as well as. I guess continent agnostic, country agnostic. We just want to be seen as a payment mechanism that works, um, no matter where you are, no matter who you bank with, no matter what you sell. Uh, that's that's what we're trying.
0: Mitch Adams, who is one of the co-founders of Ozo, a very interesting story. As, uh, as you hear there, some more South African innovation and my goodness, with everything that's happening with the coronavirus, it appears as though they're at the right place at the right time. Well, this has been your edition of Rational Radio. Look forward to being back in your company again next week in this ever-changing world of us. Until the next time, from Alec Hogg, cheerio.